Get ready for biblical preaching and teaching. I am Pastor Adam Bigelow. Isn't it time to get unstuck? This is the Reaching Forward Podcast. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is a pile of verses in here. Since we want to go verse by verse to really see what the Bible says, I don't think I'm going to make, I think it's like 58 verses. So I just plan to do the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This man said, I'm really worried. You ever get worried about the future? Who knows what the future is going to bring? It's one lady at uh, my daughter's orientation. She said, I'm ready for normal. You know, but everyone's worried about the future. And uh, this man said, I'm really worried about the future of Olympic downhill skiing. He said it's going downhill fast. (laughs) First Corinthians chapter 15, we're we're on a theme of developing. And I believe as a Christian, you want to develop. The Bible commands us and admonishes us. It says, but grow. It's the final verse in 2 Peter. All of these things against us. And he said, you know what? But grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So 1 Corinthians, we're dealing with the theme of growing or developing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're dealing with, and we've labeled this, developing our future. Developing our future. And it's really not so much about stocks and bonds and buying a house and buying non-fungible tokens or the stock market. It's about the resurrection. That's what it's, it's, it's in all of our futures. In fact, there are principally two resurrections if you read the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 20. The Bible talks about the first resurrection, and then the Bible talks about the resurrection of the wicked at the great white throne judgment. The blessed are they, the Bible said, that get the first resurrection. The resurrection of the holy, the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the saints. So... That's what we want to focus on and look towards developing our future. Now, the Bible in Proverbs says in chapter 6, it advises men to go to the ant. It's like, what are you going to learn from your ant? It says, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer. And gathereth her food in the harvest. So the ants are primed by God to prepare what? For an eventuality. So they work even when things are good, even when they have food, to provide for a time that's in the future. So in the word of God, God, God gave us his word so that we could develop a plan for our spiritual future, which is the resurrection. So we start by going back. This man said, uh, what kind of degree is useless? You know, you go to college, underwater basket weaving. So what other degree is useless? Well, preacher, a history degree is useless. There's no future in it. But there's a man named George Santayana, and he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So the Apostle Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 15, and he wants to go to the past. And he really, he's, he's sharing with us the power of preaching and the power of the gospel. So to understand our future, 
We have to go to the past and go back to look at the original resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So let's look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's not writing to new believers. He's writing to an established church. And there was some error in there looking at the resurrection. So Paul writes to correct that. And so, moreover, brethren, or brothers, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. In verse 1, we see that there's, there's some gospel conditions. He says, the gospel has to be preached, right, for the gospel to work. You know, if you're sick and you have medicine in the cabinet, you actually have to put the medicine inside of you. If you're thirsty, you have to, the water can be in the fridge, but it's got to be applied to you. It's the same with the gospel. It's got to be preached. Not only preached, but the Bible says the second condition, it must be received. Um, if you're trying to fill up a cup, you ever been to a fast food restaurant and you want to get a refill, you hand them your empty cup. I don't know if they still do this anymore with COVID and all, but they would say you can keep the top, you know, and you'd hold the top, right? So they can actually fill it up. Because if we keep the top on our spiritual cup, we can't receive something from God. But we have to open our hearts to receive the gospel. And then the last thing, it says, which ye also have received and wherein ye stand. You've got to live or stand in the gospel. In verse 2, it said, unless we do these things, hearing the gospel can be vanity or the Bible says useless. So the gospel can be broken down into four things. So let's look at verses 3 to 8. Paul said, for I delivered unto you First of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep which means they have died after that he was seen of James who was the head of the church then of all the apostles and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of of due time. So let's look at the four parts of the gospel. The first part, verse 3, Christ's death. That's the part that when you preach the gospel, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the last part that they talk about here is the manifestation of the resurrected Christ. That's the gospel. That is good news for the future. We got to look to the past. So verse 3, the Bible says in Colossians, and having made peace through the blood of his cross that the gospel shows that by the blood of jesus god brought peace to us through his sacrifice verse four his burial the second part so we have his death and his burial it's interesting have you ever read isaiah chapter 53 
in verse 9. Sometimes you read things and you're like, what is that talking about? It says it was a prophecy of the burial of Jesus Christ. And it said, and he made his grave with the wicked. With the wicked? That's what it said. It's the prophecy of the Messiah. And with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Well, how can you make your grave with the wicked and with the rich? Well, when Christ was crucified, he was crucified in between two criminals, two wicked men. Now, they were thieves, but they were judged by the death penalty back in Rome. Don't steal anything back in Rome. So he was judged as a wicked person. He was crucified as a wicked. So where was he going to be buried? They were going to throw him in a common grave. That's where his legacy or his destiny was. So the prophecy has said he made his grave with the wicked, but before he could be buried in that common grave, wherever they put the criminals, I don't know exactly where they would dump the criminals, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and he went to Pilate and he craved the body of Jesus. And so Pilate made sure that Jesus was dead, the first part of the gospel, and then he said he gave the body to Joseph. And it said, Joseph, in uh, the book of Mark, he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, his own sepulcher, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. So Jesus fulfilled that scripture. He was going to make his grave with the wicked and with what? The rich. Not because Jesus had money, but because Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus in his own new tomb that hadn't been used. Jesus only used it for three days, though. So the third part of the resurrection, you know, anything you give to Jesus, he'll give you back better. I mean, God is good to us. The resurrection, verse 5. And you know, the resurrection, when you talk about Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it shows the impossibility of of Christianity. It's not like try to be a good person. This story is impossible. Most of us have been to a funeral, right? Well, I don't know if I've been to a funeral and then three days later you see the person at work. You know, that's impossible. It's just, that's what happened with Jesus. You know, it's an amazing thing. There was a gentleman, he, uh, he had a, he had some type of, he had some type of, uh, condition and he was in the, uh, ER. And so we went to visit him. There were a lot of people praying and he was just, have you ever talked to someone and they're not even receiving what you're saying? Like you're reading page one of a book and they're reading page 42. So you say something and they say something completely crazy. And it was just, he was really having a hard time. And so we prayed for him. And then, I don't know if it was a few days later, we saw him back at work. And I'm not saying it was our prayer, but God healed that man and gave him a soundness of mind. But that, more, with, more with Jesus, Jesus wasn't sick. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Romans said in chapter 14 and verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. God takes everybody into account. And the fourth part of the gospel, so we have his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then verse 5 to 8. We have his manifestation. We have his manifestation. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus 
was alive from the dead, he went to the first Easter service, which was in the evening. And the disciples were all gathered together. The door was locked and shut. And, you know, they were fearing the Jews that were going to come and persecute them. The first Easter service, the ladies weren't wearing hats and they weren't handing out lilies, okay? I mean, they were scared. They thought that they were going to get shut down by the government. And it says, Jesus stood in the midst. Jesus didn't even have to come through the door. He just, vroom, he stood in the midst. And he said what? I thank God, peace. You know, that, that's what God brings to our life. He said, peace be unto you. And then I like this because it's John chapter 20, verse 20. And it's really 2020 vision. The Bible says in John chapter 20 and verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and then he showed his side, opened up, you know, his clothes and showed where they had stabbed him with the spear just to say, I am the same Jesus. And it said, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus was manifested. So the second time, and then in John chapter 21, it says in verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Paul said that he revealed, it pleased God to reveal in Galatians, his son in me. So the real manifestation in, in today's day and age that we actually get to see God revealed in our life. God begins to show himself in our life. We begin to think like Jesus, have Jesus' desires, uh, walk like Jesus, begin to have desire to follow Jesus. It's interesting. The Bible says, if you look at verse 6 of Corinthians 15, after he rose from the dead, it said he was seen above, of above 500 brethren at one time. I don't know if it was a church service. We gathered everybody together, and they're like, whoa. But it's interesting because, so Jesus was seen 40 days. The Bible said Jesus was alive and he manifested himself for 40 days until he was taken up. And he told those uh, disciples, he said, don't, he said, don't go anywhere, tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you be given the promise of the Father, which was going to be the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he said, don't go anywhere. So they went into an upper room. Now, how many had he manifested himself to? 500, it says it right here, and more. Above 500, plus the disciples and uh, the apostles. and How many were there in the upper room? It wasn't 500. You Bible readers will know it was 120. What happened to the other 300? And, and now, if you saw Jesus, man, you'd have a viral TikTok, right? This is a video of Jesus Christ alive. I mean, it'd be like 5 billion views, right? But yet they weren't there. Now, it's interesting that just because Christ manifests someone to someone doesn't mean that that person is going to choose to dedicate their life to the word of God. So we see that there's a disparity there. You know what, God, I want to plan for the future. I want to be, I like what Brother Spencer said. You're stuck with me. You know, it's like I have made up my mind to follow Jesus. I want the crazy Christians. And I'm not going to do anything like one preacher said. I'll ride the altar if I have to. I'm going to, get, I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to make it to heaven. I want to be one of those people. And, uh, you know, honestly, you serve God enough. You have enough cars and stay in enough places and eat enough food. This world only satisfies temporarily. It's a nice car until the dash lights come on that aren't supposed to come on. How can you? 
What do you think I'm saying that for? Like a recent experience, right? Just like today. But verses 9 to 11. So realizing that Jesus Christ is the, the sole author of salvation, our, our part in it is to believe in what Christ did and to accept him into our heart. So it should make you humble because we don't get saved by works, but by grace through faith we are saved. This is not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. If water baptism saved you, can you imagine Hollywood them getting baptized in gold or, you know, milk from, you know, you know, like, I don't know, vegan milk or something like I mean, they would be like broadcasting it and then be baptized in the big, huge swimming pool. But you know what? That's not how we get saved. We don't boast. Now, baptism in water is a commandment of the Lord, and it's to signify what Christ has done in our lives. And we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. But verses 9 to 11, so there's a resulting humility in a Christian. So Paul said in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. That's humble. That's, that's humble because Paul wrote like, well, 13 or 14 books, depending on what you think about Hebrews, 13 or 14 books out of the 27 books in the New Testament. Paul has something to say, but he's a very humble man. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. And he's recalling his history. Because I persecuted the church of God. But I like this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So you know what? You don't need to apologize for what Christ does in your life. And so he's like, you know what? I persecuted when uh, Stephen was stoned. Paul was there kind of as the church rep, you know, from the Jews. And they were laying their clothes at, uh, at his feet. And he was kind of the uh, authority present, you know, sneering down at this dead, uh, dead man named Stephen. But he said, even so, he said, I persecuted God, but God chose to, to call me. You know what? I was going to be a cop when I got out of the Marine Corps. I, I had plans. And it's not to be a preacher, but you know what? God has plans too. And if God wants to do and call someone to preach, God can do that. And if you persecuted the church and God wants to call you to preach, God can do that. And that's why Paul said, I'm not apologizing by the grace of God. I'm an apostle. I am what I am. I don't, I don't deserve it, but he said, I am. And so, say, so a preacher, what if a woman had 15 abortions and, and uh, God called her to preach and, you know, that God would call her to preach and by the grace of God, she would be what she would be. What if Osama bin Laden was still alive and God called him to preach? If Osama bin Laden was alive and God called him to preach by the grace of God, say, preacher, but he's a murderer. So is Paul. I mean, this, he was a wicked man and he thought he was doing God's service. Just like Osama bin Laden was a wicked man. But you know what? God... By his blood, either it forgives sin or it doesn't forgive sin. Either it forgives little sin and big sin, or it's not good enough to forgive some sin. I believe God can forgive all sin. Now, Solomon bin Laden's no longer with us, so he's not going to be preaching. But I've, been, I've shared if Ozzy Osbourne, some of you know who he is. I don't think he's a Christian, okay? But if he got saved, I'd, I'd, I'd hug his neck and call him brother. He told all this man and name's Ozzy. Right? But if he still had, you know, God could save him and make him a preacher. God can do it. In fact, there was a, a group I used to listen to called Wasp, and it's heavy metal. The guy had like 
half of a circular saw blade on his arm. His name was, he was a white guy, but his name was Blackie Lawless. You know, nice stage name, right? But I read about that guy. He was in the 80s, right, when I was listening to this, you know, very wholesome music, right? And I was like, wonder what happened to this guy. You know what? I read about him. He was a, like a, a young man who was a follower of God. He got away from it, started that band, lived a heavy metal lifestyle. But you know what? He came back to God. He came full circle. And he's like, there's songs I can't sing anymore because they just, they don't. And I was like, wow, that is Jesus Christ and the power of God's forgiveness. So he said, and this, in verse 10, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. When God gave me grace, it changed my life. Now notice this. Because people say, well, grace, God does everything, I do nothing. But notice what Paul said. But I labored more abundantly. But I thought he was saved by grace, not by works. Yes, you're saved by grace, but your changed life begins to go to work for Jesus. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but listen, the grace of God which was with me. Man, the grace of God gets you to go to work, but not in legalism. You're not trying to prove yourself. You just want to show other people that God loves them. And it's a real blessing to serve God. Verse 11, whether therefore it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. And it really doesn't matter who preaches the gospel. It could be myself, Reverend Patterson or Sister Bigelow, you know, but it's the gospel that is preached. Someone said this, and I don't know that it has ever happened, but if the devil preached the gospel, someone could get saved. That's how much power is in the gospel. That's why the devil does not want you to read your Bible, go to church, because there's so much power in the word of God. Verse 12 to 20. So we're going to be dealing with the absolute necessity of the resurrection. Now he kind of gets into what he's talking to the church about, uh, and he kind of looks at it from the opposite point of view. Let's just jump in. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you, some of the church, that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. That makes sense, right? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. It's empty. And your faith is also vain. And verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he hath not raised up, if so be that the dead rise not. And he's taken their line of thinking. Some of the people in Corinth said that Jesus didn't, that there's no resurrection. So Paul said that doesn't make any sense. He said in verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they which also which are fallen asleep or died in Christ, which means they were Christian, are perished. They're just dead. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He said, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So there were people at the church that were saying, ah, there's no such thing as the resurrection. And Paul said, if you can't have the resurrection, you can't have Christianity. And yes, Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. But until he rose from the dead, there was no proof 
that his blood had done the job. Until Jesus rose from the dead, that was like the exclamation point. That's why we have so much of a, uh, uh, an excitement of Easter. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where our promise lies so we can trust the cross, so we can trust his promises because he rose from the dead. It's the hinge of Christianity, if you please. So when Jesus rose from the dead in, in Luke chapter 24, and there are some people that say, oh, he rose spiritually. You'll hear that. His spirit rose, but not his body. No, his body rose from the dead. It's, you know, like some people say, I'll be with you in spirit. It's like, nope, not unless your body's there. <laughs> because you can't do that. Wherever you're, If your spirit leaves your body, your body hits the prone position. That's exactly how it... Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died and it said he gave up the ghost, right? So if someone's with you in spirit, I understand people just say that they're on your side. But your spirit has to go where your body goes, okay? That's the way that it works. Otherwise, your body just falls down and decays, right? And they have to put it in a, the ground somewhere. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he looked at his disciples and he said, behold my hands and my feet. He said, look, that it is I myself. Notice he said, Handle me, he said, touch me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, they couldn't believe that he rose from the dead. And wondered, he said unto them, they didn't really believe him yet. I mean, he's like, they're, they're like, he's like, touch me, touch me. And they don't believe that he rose from the dead bodily. But this was so important for Jesus to prove to them because his bodily resurrection is a teaching or doctrine that is essential to our belief in Jesus Christ. So he said, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, which sounds good about now, and a piece of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat it before them. So he said, I'm just going to prove to you that I'm not a spirit. I'm going to eat this food right in front of you. But Jesus wanted to prove the resurrection. And you say, how important is that? Brethren, in our future, it's going to be the thing that we hold on to. As you live this life, you start to say goodbye to people as you walk through this life. But you know, as a Christian, you can really say this. And I feel the presence of God. See you later. Because you'll be able to see those Christians later in the resurrection. And uh, that's going to be an exciting time. So my wife's mother and father have gone on, but they were both Christians. And I'm not saying that because they died. I'm saying that because they're Christians. And uh, I look forward to seeing them in a resurrected body. No more pain of cancer there. But uh, it's because of the resurrection we have that hope. So the fruit of the resurrection, verse 21 to 34. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, made a man, lived without sin, and then died and rose from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. So Christ was the first resurrected from the dead to immortality. Not the first resurrection, but the first one that was raised from the dead to immortality. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he that hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith, all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. He's still going to rule and reign. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son of Man also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? So up to verse 28, we see that Jesus Christ, so the way the timeline runs, there'll be a rapture of the church, a catching away of the church, where Christ will come back, and at the first trump, the dead in Christ are going to rise or resurrect, and the second trump is going to sound, sounds like Donald Trump, right? But this is a trumpet, okay? The trumpet's going to sound, right? Not Donald Trump. 2024? No, that's not what we're talking about. The trump is going to sound and the dead which are and those which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together to meet with the Lord in the air. And it said, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's called the rapture of the church. And then seven years of tribulation are going to begin. At the end of that, you're going to have the battle of Armageddon and Jesus is going to come back. It's the second coming of Christ. And then what this was talking about was he's going to rule. He's going to, for 1,000 years, it's called the millennium, he's going to set up his rule to put all rebellion out from the earth. And people are going to get stirred up. And then at the end of that, uh, the last enemy is going to be destroyed is death, uh, the false prophet, uh, Satan, uh, and uh, all these, uh, the Antichrist are going to be put into the lake of fire. But... The Bible says in verse 29, it said, if we're baptized for the dead, you know, have you ever seen someone get baptized in water? They go down and they come back up. It's to symbolize Christ's death and burial. That's why you go down. But brethren, we come back up. We don't leave people under that. <laughs> and he was saying, that makes no sense. Otherwise, bad, it did make no sense to get baptized. Baptized symbolizes the resurrection when you come back out, a new creature resurrected in Christ. And he said, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, I don't think he fought wild beasts, this was probably some fierce people, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? He said, Why am I going through all this? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just go chill out and have some margaritas because there's nothing's going to happen. We're just going to die and go into nothing. But he said, be not deceived. He said, that's not the way that it is. And he said, evil communications corrupt good manners. And Matthew Henry, who is a, a Bible commentator from years ago, he said, bad company and conversation make bad men. And he said, this is an error in doctrine. He was specifically speaking about the resurrection. He said, if you hang around people, that are spreading that stuff, it's gonna get you, it's gonna get you off your Christianity. And so Paul said, awake to righteousness. He said, you've got to believe in the resurrection and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. He said, some people don't know about the resurrection. And then he said, I speak this to your shame. So let's develop our future. That's part one. But uh Check out the resurrection, brethren. It's all coming. We're all gonna stand before the judgment seat of God, of Jesus Christ. 
uh, as a Christian to receive our award. But if you're not a Christian, it's a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. I don't want to be there, but there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. And it's going to come at various times. But Jesus is the resurrection. Do you know when Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know that some of the saints rose from Jesus? So his resurrection was so powerful that the gospel said that literally saints rose from the dead. I don't know if it was Abraham. I don't know. And they were, they were seen in Jerusalem walking around. Not, 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 not ghosts or spirits, but like regular people like, oh! But it was people that had believed in Jesus and from the Old, time, the Old Testament that were raised by the power of Christ's resurrection. So the resurrection is a real thing. And let's develop our future and let's put our investment into what's coming. And that's the resurrection. Whatever other investments you have, I'm not an investment, uh, uh, investment coordinator, but with spiritual things I am. And want to invest your life in Jesus because, brethren, the dividends are out of this world when we get to eternity. Father, we ask that you will bless this Bible study to our hearts. Help us develop our future. Look toward the future, the power of your resurrection, the teaching and doctrine and the truth of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.